Left. Right. Is World War III really that likely? Is it around the corner? Should we be worried? Well, that's what we discussed this episode. Let me know if you agree with us or disagree. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. We are live. Welcome to Sip Talk episode 238. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of Sip Talk headquarters here in my basement, New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philosopher, philanderer, philanthropist, physician, philatelist, a man of a very high pH. How's it hanging down there in sunny South Carolina, James? Mm, stark. Oh, it's not so sunny in <laughs> sunny South Carolina. Uh, so look, man, I am back uh, off the wagon. Off the, you want to be off yeah, the wagon? Yeah, I think, yeah. Welcome to being back off the wagon. Yeah, the wagon doesn't sound like any fun to me, but it is uh, It is no, now February. No, not great company on there. It is now February. Dry January is over, so cheers to that. I hope... Uh, if However, at least like the people on the wagon, at least the driver is sober. Well, everybody's approaching sobriety on the wagon, right? Until they fall off the wagon. I didn't fall. I jumped. It's a rough ride on that wagon. Um, so today we are discussing whether or not World War III is likely to happen, and if it is likely to happen soon. I got to ask you before we get into this, what are you drinking down there? Back to PBR. Back to PBR. Very nice. Well, I have an IPA. This is from Cape May. It was recommended from the guy that runs a liquor store near me, um, and this was a frozen, uh, <clears throat> frozen mug from one of my agents, Martin. So thank Martin for that nice icy mug, cooling down the beer. Um, and then I got a little whiskey here on the side if I run through the beer. Um, where do we go? What do we lead with here? What am I, um, what am I, what am I missing about... before we just dive into World oh, War III? Right. The scary so the, there are like, I think, four different areas of the world that like are getting attention right now. And I'd like to talk about each of them. Okay. So let me see if I can name them first. So you've got... Uh, got Russia and Ukraine. Yep, that's one. You've got uh, Israel and Hamas. That's two. You've got China and Taiwan. Three. I don't think you're thinking of China and India. No. Um, Iran and the Houthis? That kind of falls under that, I'm, I'm that falls little... under like the Israel Hamas thing. Does like, it? Yeah, well, <clears throat> yes, because uh, like right now, what's going on in the Middle East is all kind of entangled. So I don't want to, uh, like, if we're going to talk about like Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the Houthis, that has pretty strong relations with what's going on in Israel right now. So, I'd, like, when we get to that section, like, that'll be all kind of encompassed. Good. I plan to be pretty, uh, flying pretty high here. So I'm going to drink up on this IPA. Um, where, where, uh, the last one, where, sh oh, what, what is the last one? All right. North yeah. Korea and South Korea. Mm. <laughs> I have a bunch of notes on that actually. Yeah. I don't know how I didn't, I don't know how I didn't name it, but, uh, blame it on the low tolerance. Mm. Uh, two sips of beer deep. Um, so I'd like to so, start with basically what I think is the least likely to become a, a war. I mean, they're all kind of current issues, but yeah, I but think yeah, you're going to become an actual war. My, my, uh, I, so I think you're probably going to lead with uh, North Korea and South Korea. Yes. Yeah. All right. So t t take a rip at it. So I don't know. I've, I've been hearing from some people that they think that North Korea is going to invade South Korea and start a war and try and take over South Korea. And the argument that they make basically begins and ends with North Korea has a bunch of troops at the border of the demilitarized zone between the two countries, which okay. has always been the case. They have like both countries have tons of troops there because that's just how it's been. And technically, they're still at war because the peace treaty was never signed in the 50s. 
But in terms of why North Korea is not going to invade South Korea. You better hit our comments from the called Thai. The called Thai, India and Bangladesh. I'm not aware of there like being a big conflict between the two of them. Um, you'll have to you have to dig into that, but I don't yeah. think India and Bangladesh is something that's likely to spark a World War Three. Um, in Japan and China, we'll, we'll we'll come back to that when we get to Japan and uh, I'm sorry, China and Taiwan, because I think a lot of the reasons will be the same. Like Japan and China hate each other. But that's true. <laughs> that is true. All right, back to back to North Korea, South Korea. So, so they both have they both have military on the border, but they've had military on the border basically since there was a border. Yep. So so here's the reason why North Korea is not going to invade or really do anything is the leaders of North Korea, despite often appearing to be idiots, are not. They know that their place in the world is kind of being preserved by the surround like the surrounding countries, namely China, South Korea, and like I guess Japan. Hmm? Sorry, we were losing the stream a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, you like froze up for a sec. But basically the, the leaders in North Korea know that like their existence is basically dependent on their surrounding countries kind of agreeing to allow them to continue to exist. Because if you think about it from the perspective of like China or South Korea, if North Korea collapses, right? Imagine that the regime in North Korea just goes away. You've got a couple million people that have no education have been propagated. You're talking about you're talking about South Korea. No, I'm talking about North Korean citizens. Okay. So imagine the regime in North Korea collapses. Like the, okay. the leaders all go away and their government falls apart, right? Okay. So you've got the entire population of North Korea, save for the few thousand people that are at the high levels of government that are malnourished, completely uneducated, have no idea what's going on in the world, have no practical skills for the modern world, and have been heavily propagandized. And who's going to have to soak up that humanitarian crisis? Well, it's going to be primarily China and South Korea, with maybe a little bit on Japan. And none of those three countries really want to have to pick up the bill to to take care of this massive amount of people that are going to be, for many, many years, a burden. And so all these countries kind of have a vested interest in keeping North Korea the way it is, because it's easier for them to ignore what North Korea is doing because it causes them less problems. And North Korea leaders know this. And so they have to keep their, their population kind of in check. And some of that is going to be the propaganda of them talking about them defeating the West or invading or something like that. That's all just messaging to keep their people like satiated, I guess. <laughs> but the, North Korea knows that... Its army is ill-equipped, malnourished, and dwarfed in number by pretty much anybody else. And North Korea knows that if they were to actually start a war, that would be the end of their regime. And the only thing that the leaders in North Korea care about is being able to continue to lead the country and live a life of luxury while the rest of their people suffer. The rest of the people suffer, yeah. Um and I can't think of any other. Are there other countries that are on the side of North Korea? Um, other countries that wish they could run a similar regime. Right? Well, there's lots of other countries that would love to to be able to pull off what North Korea is doing. But I don't think any any other countries have North Korea's interests. Uh, um, Iran, to a small degree, says Rosh, and I, I would agree. Eritrea, maybe, because they're kind of the North Korea of Africa, and then China, because North Korea is technically communist and China is technically communist. So they kind of ally with North Korea in some respects, but China knows that they don't, they don't really need to do very much. And I don't think that China would, would put much effort towards defending North Korea if they were to step out so, of line enough. So, yeah. So I think we both agree that, that escalation and conflict there is pretty unlikely. That's so, yeah. That's why I said that's the least and, likely of them. And let's so let's just talk a little bit more about 
what World War III would look like, how we would get there, okay? Because Russia invading Ukraine is not, so we can ad- address all these four conflicts, but Russia invading Ukraine is not going to spark World War III, right? No. Uh, I mean, it hasn't. Right. Uh, I mean, it, demonstrably, it, no. Because it's already it. happened, yeah. Israel, Hamas, no. Well, um, and, uh, Yahya says the only country that wants to start World War III is Israel. And I think there are certain there are certainly aspects like on the on the, the the farthest right members of the Israeli government. I think you could make that argument that that, that there are certain there are certain parts of Israeli politics that would be very happy to try and force like kind of a West versus East kind of battle where it would be Israel and the United States and maybe like some of Western Europe versus the middle, like the rest of the Middle East and a good portion of Asia. Well, but I don't think that's the majority in Israel. I think that's the far right politics in well, Israel. Yeah. I, don't, I, I also, I don't see that as being the straw that breaks the, the globe's back and we erupt into, into world war three. I just, I don't see enough interests aligned really um not that there aren't common interests but i just i don't think that i guess there's that much of an impact on like world economies and things and i think that that's world economies uh and and defense is something that's going to or counter defense is what's going to erupt a world war three so basically somebody's economy being challenged like if something big happens with china um which would majorly impact the U.S. economy, we would have an interest there. So, now, so, so, hang on. One, one would be some t- some version of economy. The other one would be something about a an imminent nuclear attack that spurs a defensive action of a nuclear attack, and that would become that would set off World War Three, which I think this well, is extremely unlikely. But the the only the only. The only scenario I see that would that would lead to a very high likelihood of uh, of World War Three is if, if if someone drops a nuke, because then that could spiral very quickly. But anything else, I I, I think that in any other scenario, there are enough opportunities to provide countries with off ramps to avoid a wider a wider World War Three kind of scenario. Those off ramps exist with nukes, not so much. Nukes could be nukes have been and will continue to be a huge problem. But any country knows that if they launch a nuke, they know that they might be just like dooming the entire entire world, which is why. But also very much themselves. If you launch a nuke, the entire world. Unfortunately, they're also part of the world. Yes, they are. They are. They are on Earth. All the countries are on Earth. but I, I, I agree. Anyone that, that launches a nuke in any outward direction is having several others at minimum inbound. Right. So uh, that's, that's why that's, that's the issue with nukes. But I, I was like, I think Carl Sagan said this, that like in regards to the nuclear arms race is you have two people standing in a room that is completely permeated with gas fumes trying to accumulate as many matches as they can. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know that that was Sagan, but I've heard that before. I also heard, I don't know what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but I can bet that World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and I think that was something that was said around uh, World War Two when we were looking at the first couple yeah. of nuclear bombs. All right, so I want to talk about the next least likely conflict, which is China <laughs> and Taiwan. Okay. So we, do, do we talk about this on air? We talked about this off air after the last episode because we you and i've had this conversation maybe okay. uh, i don't remember i but, should remember but <laughs> even though i was entirely sober last one yeah I, I only had like one drink so i was sober by the end of it too but um, all right so. so china would really really like to take taiwan back it's like 50 or 60 years ago like during the 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 maoist revolution like the people that disagreed with mao all fled to taiwan and have kind of been living in this weird political state where they are functionally independent from China, 
but like the entire world has to pretend like they're still part of China because China doesn't like don't really the don't hurt the feelings of China. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so China would love to be able to get Taiwan back. And like the, the you see this all the time where they they consider like Taiwan to be part of China and it's just a matter of time for them to just like kind of come back like the dog that got lost. What so but so China believes that Taiwan is part of China. Yes. Taiwan believes that it is independent. The rest of the world just has to pretend that they, Both they, are correct. they don't smell the fart in church or, you know. Whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> but here's the reason why China is not going to invade Taiwan is when it comes to computer chip manufacturing, there are different grades of quality of computer chip. And so pretty much any country on the, uh, like any developed country can make low quality chips. And these are the things that are like, I don't know, in like your electric shaver or something. They don't need to do much. <laughs> my, my electric razor recently died. I'm, I'm, I'm still dealing with that. But like but low quality computer chips, those are easy to make and practically any country can do so. You've got medium quality chips that are used in like kind of, I, I guess like maybe crappier cell phones and like kind of mid-level or like, a lot not of like state of the art, but not, like a lot of smart of devices will use yeah. like these mid grade chips because they don't really need to do much, but they need to be able to do more than the absolute basics. So, you mean like my oven that tells the weather? Yeah, that would be a mid grade chip. Recipes, yeah. And there's a lot fewer countries that can make them, but they're still not terribly hard. At the very top of this pyramid of quality chips, the absolute highest quality chips are made in one place in the world, and that's Taiwan. Not in Mexico, you're saying? No. Okay. Like even the United States, which we have great technology, the best chips in the world come from Taiwan. And it's like two or three factories in Taiwan that make all of the absolute highest quality chips that everybody in the world depends on for the very high end electronics. And that could be like really good computers, but it's also like military stuff. And Taiwan makes those. Nobody else has the, the the technology in the factories to be able to make chips at the quality that Taiwan does. So, and and not just the U.S., but the rest of the world depends on the use of these chips. So there's a lot of interest, international interest in preserving Taiwan and right. chip manufacturers. And so if China invades Taiwan, so first of all, I can tell you who the loser in that war is going to be. And that's Taiwan. Well, if China invades, yeah, and it would happen pretty quick. China is, but is like, I can tell you right now that if China invades Taiwan, the United States has already said that we would come to their full defense, and a lot of the Western world would be there with us. And so it would be China versus a whole bunch of the world. Have, has that, the U.S. said that publicly, or yes. has it only been implied? No, that's that's been said publicly. Oh, interesting. But even if like the U.S. beats China, or the China beats U.S. Taiwan loses either way because that island will be bombed into complete oblivion. It's not very large, and there would be a lot of bombs between the two countries. And so if that happens, goodbye all of those high-quality chips, which nobody in the world, including China, wants to see. And so China, very much like North Korea in terms of the whole posturing and, and bloviating about things, like China needs to keep on saying these things to keep like the people in the country believing that it's something they're they're going to do. But China's never going to actually invade Taiwan because it would unite the world against China and it would also deprive the entire world, including China, so of these high quality chips. You have a lot of faith in these chips. And of course, you know, well, China depends on these chips just as much because their economy is based a lot on export so they must be importing a lot of these chips from taiwan and exporting the products that use those chips mm -hmm. and, and here's the other thing hang on what they're making with those chips can only be made for the price that they're being made in china if china wants to win a war the war that they fight with the world is not a military war china's power comes from its economy Yep, that's that's that's, uh, that's on my list of things here. I'm letting you take the lead in in uh, what we're talking about here, but on so my list if, is if currency China, manipulation and and global economy. If China does something in Taiwan, never mind the military consequences. 
the vast majority of Western countries are going to immediately cease buying Chinese goods. Well, and China's export market fucking craters. Even if they don't immediately cease, they're going to immediately start building um, up Indian uh, producing uh, industry and things like that. They're they're immediately going to find another place to outsource to. Right. And And the problem is once you find, once you build the factories that you need in a different country that were in China, you don't turn back and, and say, let's, oh, China's done with the war. Let's, let's rebuild in China. You just have a new place. Right. And so China, it, China would be giving up their strongest weapon, which is an economic weapon by doing something like that. And so again, China's leaders are not stupid. They know this. So they're going to continue bloviating about it and, and bitching about the fact that Taiwan's not theirs. And that's just to keep their people happy. They're not actually going to do anything because it would be the end of the status quo in China, which enough people in China are happy with that there's no need to take action. And Rosh says, again, no possible World War III because of a large vested interest, not because humanity has a moral <laughs> compass. And well, yes, like I'm not talking about these things in terms of morality. Well, because yeah, I, one of my big notes in, in big capital letters here is that is that world peace isn't built on the notion of peace and harmony. It's it's built on trust that basically your potential enemies aren't going to do more damage to you. Like, well, this, you can think of it. This isn't, think this about isn't world peace, humanity, and morale issue or ethics issue. This is a self preservation at its core issue. Think about world peace like when you're driving down a two lane road and someone's coming in the other direction. You both trust. That the other is not just going to veer into your lane. Every once in a while when I'm driving, I just get hit with this profound, just like very intense feeling that I'm like, everybody is like really just working their best. Not everybody, but most of them are working their best to stay in their lanes and just really at the core of it to keep themselves alive. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just have to trust that these people value their lives. And it is wild on, on the scale that we have cars on the road that that people value their lives enough that. We're not getting in accidents literally left, right, and center. And like like the, the every other driver. Principle at work at the global geopolitics. Exactly. Level. Every other driver is keeping themselves alive, keeping me alive. Every other country is worried about keeping themselves alive and their interests uh, fulfilled. And and that's just everybody's self-interest is what is is what keeps the machine well-oiled. Same same thing with geopolitics. So that's why so that's why China's <laughs> but, but not listen, gonna... but but from time to time people will drive into oncoming traffic or mow over uh pedestrians and things yep. like that. So that happens. We're getting but there. Same, but... <laughs> All right. Again, this is your topic. I will let you lead, but I uh I think I know where you want to go now, but but let's see. Go ahead. Either way. But no, no, like this is actually the perfect segue to now we talk about Ukraine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, speaking of mowing over pedestrians in your in your SUV, yeah, uh, the bigger the SUV, the better, uh, especially when uh, it's diesel and it's from uh, 1968 uh, because because it weighs eight tons. <laughs> because you 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 so Russian cars are yeah. It's just I love I actually I I like Russia. You know, I studied I studied. Russian the language in in high school and we had a lot of Russian history and culture to learn. I really like Russia um, for many reasons, but obviously uh, what they're doing to Ukraine is is not great and and they're not uh, they're the type of so when we're talking about people driving trying to keep themselves alive and that in turn keeps you alive, Russia is a kind of country that will like bump into your car in the parking lot and just drive away. Not even uh, leave a note. No, there's, yeah, there's, well, that was implied. Uh, they, don't, they don't really give that much of a fuck. All right, so Ukraine and Russia. This so, we're now in the third year of uh, of a conflict or a war. It's really a war mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them. And it, it, from what I've been reading, the conflict is somewhat stalled right now. Neither side can really make a lot of progress. the The economic sanctions that the world put towards Russia in the first couple of months of the war two years ago now have mostly like have had their effect, but Russia's economy has more or less adapted to them. And the, the Russian government is basically like, like well, we're just not going to care. Um, and 
I think what you're going to see with like Russia is not going to spread this conflict any wider. And here's why. Well, they okay. can't even win in Ukraine yet. <laughs> exactly. They don't have the resources. They don't have the power to win Ukraine. Um, and spending the attention, the money, and the people elsewhere is only going to hurt them in Ukraine. I see you're reading the comments here. Yeah, I'm not going to address them right now. <laughs> All right. Either way. So, so Russia is not going to invade any other countries while they're still bogged down in Ukraine. And what's going to end up settling the war in Ukraine, and this is really painting in broad strokes, is actually economics. Um, because it's can the West support Ukraine long enough for them to either ha- like be able to have a military victory or until Russians get tired of it? or And then on the Russian side is can the Russians outlast Western money? Would you agree? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Um, the Russians have have persisted longer than I thought they would have at this point, uh, although Ukraine has also lasted longer than I thought it would have. Obviously, they didn't do that without, without help from the rest of the world, or especially the United States. But, um, but this war has perpetuated a hell of a lot longer than, than I thought. Yeah, I think much to the surprise of pretty much everybody in the world, like because the Russians thought they were going to be able to win this thing in like a week, and I I don't think and it the Ukrainians, I think the Ukrainians thought that eventually the Russians would get tired of losing, and the West is continuing to throw tons of money at Ukraine. We got a lot of comments coming in right now about uh, a, a different narrative on the on the on the yeah, which I I just basically I, that that Russia attacked Ukraine to stop the Ukrainians killing uh, ethnic Russians in the Donbas. Which I, I I think I mean if you want to believe the narrative that Putin tells to justify his his reasons for invading, then fine. But the the I, I think the international opinion is that there that Ukraine was not committing genocide against anybody in its country and that Ukraine has not acted belligerently at all. And the reason why Russia is invading Ukraine is because in, I think this is maybe 2015 or 2016, when they, when Ukraine voted out Yanukovych, who was very similar to, um, Crap. Yeah, uh, Lukashenko in Belarus, Yanukovych was like that in Ukraine, where he was basically a puppet figure that was controlled by the Kremlin and, and made Ukraine do what Russia wanted it to do. When the Ukrainian people voted him out and Russia no longer had control over what Ukraine was doing, Russia was really, really pissed. And they seized Crimea and they saw that the international community didn't really do much in response and then they spent the next five or six years stockpiling and, and preparing to invade ukraine because russia and in, in, in putin's own words like ukraine is a part of russia because ukraine was part of the soviet union and putin has said explicitly that his goal is to bring russia back to the glory days of the soviet the soviet union yeah, and he, a big part of that is ukraine and so when Ukraine basically voted in a Western-leaning leader, that was a middle finger to Russia, and Russia has been pissed about it ever since. And Russia is going to make up stuff, whatever they can, to try and justify what they are doing. And, like, but Putin, I don't have Putin the time been, or the capacity no, you're, you're, right now to, to document every single one of the lies that Russia has told well, to that, justify what they are doing. But if I need to, I can. And... I can't do it in real time, but if you if you want me to, I could I can debunk you guys every can, single you guys one can of have the points this, you're You guys can have this conversation off off the air if you'd like. Um, but we need to we need to move on. We need to get out of this this crevice of uh, Putin's asshole here. But anyways, um, basically, Russia is not going to invest. In, it, um, it is not going to invade any other countries in Europe while they are still not even making progress in Ukraine. And additionally. 
if Russia goes any farther west, they're going to run into NATO countries. And the NATO countries have been sending weapons to Ukraine, but they haven't been fighting themselves. If Russia invades a NATO country, now all of NATO is fighting Russia. And that's a war that Russia cannot win. The best they can do is tie. Well, look, and that's, that's but that's how, but that's yeah, and that's how you do end up in a in a, in a World War Three type scenario. And I don't necessarily. Again, we most of us believe that Putin is pretty crazy. Um, we all. I didn't also. I also didn't think he was going to live this long. There's a lot of information and misinformation about his health, uh, but generally, it's believed that his health is not very good. Uh, and it, it has to do a lot with his brain. So, um, yeah, they, and this is something that we can't really confirm. But I've 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 seen a lot of people talk about how they think that he either has cancer or Parkinson's. Again, uh, it's 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 difficult. The thing is, this side of the world is so far away from us, and that all that we hear is so filtered through the media. So I I don't. Uh, some of what Yaya is saying about about Russia has some foundation in reality, but, but a lot of it is, is just media. That's, that's coming from a, you no, and I, a we, lot of it is Russian you, propaganda. You, you, me and Raj have had a conversation about, uh, news not being what you read in the news, what you hear in the news, maybe not being, uh, legit yeah. or trust or trust in the source. Um, and that's that, well, I guess we haven't really gotten there in this conversation. Let me hit the bar trivia from last week. I'll answer that question. Um, and then we can talk maybe about the fourth point that you have here. And maybe we talk about some ways that we could slip into a World War Three and what that might look like. Because you, even though you're arguing against it, you just brought up a scenario via, uh, although it may be unlikely, um, that we could we could end up in a nuclear war. Well, via, sure. Russia, via Russia's, you know, push westward. Um, but let me answer the question from last week. Do you remember the the Bart trivia question from last week? Nope. Ah, damn it. All right. So I said you've got a half liter of an alcoholic, of, of a liquor. That's 100% proof. And you mix that with another half liter that is 50% proof. So now you are left 50% with 50% or 50 proof? 50, 50 proof. In 100% or 100 proof? All right. (laughs) All right. You know the answer already, providing you can do some pretty simple uh, division. So you get a half liter that's 100 proof, and you get a half liter that's 50 proof. So now you mix them together. You have a liter. Half half of the liter is 100 proof. Half of the liter is 50 proof. What is the total percentage alcohol in the solution that you now have? 37.5. 37.5. So, uh, you were able to answer that question pretty quickly because you can do simple math easily in your head and you understand proof. Most people well, don't understand proof. So if you have a hundred proof alcohol, proof is double the percentage alcohol. So if it's a hundred proof, it's 50%. So basically me telling you the proof is a bit of a diversion here, but you got 50 proof and a hundred proof and you're mixing half of each. So you end up with uh, you take the average, you end up with 75. But of course, because proof is double the percentage alcohol, you would divide that proof by two. So you've got a liter of 37.5% uh, alcohol, whatever it is that you're mixing. And this came, this came, <laughs> this math problem came to my attention. I had an agent who was drinking like a glass of vodka or tequila in the office. And, uh, she said, oh, this is really strong. Do you have anything else? And somebody added to it um, some, what's the orange liqueur, the blue one? Blue Curacao. Oh, blue Curacao. Blue Curacao. Um, and they're like, oh, you just made this stronger. And I said, well, they give you more alcohol, but they And then Right. <laughs> so you have more alcohol. The drink itself. Yeah, the drink the is, 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 less, is less strong. The, the drink is less concentrated, but it's higher volume. There is and more I will overall tell you, alcohol in the drink. Because yeah, we added alcohol to it, but the solution that we added has less alcohol in it. So per total volume, it is weaker. And we, I was not. I was like drawing charts. I was like taking paper and like uh, it was a. It was a. It was a total clusterfuck. 
we didn't get anywhere. And that was last Thursday. So even though I wasn't drinking, which is probably why my math was so spot on. Um, so the answer to last week's trivia question, half liter, 100%, uh, fuck, half liter, 100 proof, half liter, 50 proof, results in one liter at 37.5% alcohol. All right, let's move hang on in to a, the... Hang, hang in until the end of the episode. We will hit you with uh, the special Super Bowl bar trivia at the end. So, All right, let's move, let's move on, on to the big enchilada. One more big conflict, yeah. And that'll be just the Middle East in general. And we can talk about Israel and Gaza. We can talk about Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the Houthis. And we can talk about what happened with the U.S. last weekend and some possible scenarios there. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Where do you want to start? I, well, let's, let's lead with uh, the Houthis. So... Because I have, I have to say, this, this, is, this is probably the one I know the least about. We talked about it last week, but I really, I, you don't see as much of it in the news and the media. Okay. So, to, to understand the Houthis, you need to understand that Iran and Saudi Arabia hate each other. And the reason is Iran is Shiite Muslim and Saudi Arabia is Sunni Muslim. And those two disciplines or sects of, of Islam do not agree. Now, I am not versed enough in, in Islamic tradition to be able to explain why in a historical context or a viewpoint context. I, like, I'm, I'm just going to say I don't know enough about it to comment. But I do know that they don't like each other to the point where both of them are funding the two sides in Yemen where Iran is funding the Houthis and Saudi Arabia is funding the government or just directly attacking the Houthis themselves. So you have to understand that the Houthi rebels and Yemen is a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran that both of them can keep just enough distance from to deny major involvement. Follow me so far? I'm following you so far. And so, because of the attack in Gaza and Israel, and that has had just kind of a destabilizing effect on the entire area, where because the world is focusing on what Israel and, and Hamas have been fighting about, it's it's provided enough of a distraction for some of for, for one, Iran is funding a lot of these terrorist and paramilitary groups. And because the world's distracted in Israel, Iran's been able to send more stuff to other places with the idea that, well, they're not going to notice as much. And so the Houthi rebels have been, I, I think, and, and again, this is one where like, my knowledge fails me a little bit, but I think the Houthi make, rebels are looking to provoke a wider league. conflict, and yeah. that's why they've been attacking commercial ships in the area, and that's why they've been attacking like U.S. bases, um, is to try and get more people fighting in that region, because if you have a wider conflict in the region, then it means that for the Houthis, it's going to be an international distraction. They're going to have a better chance of being able to topple the Yemeni government because nobody's going to bother defending the Yemeni government when they're fighting with other things. So it's it's a distraction, again, to try and, and, and I guess, like, like a left-hand feint to then, like, <laughs> deliver a right hook. Yeah, but they ha they're, they're basically trying to make a bigger splash. Uh, get get more attention and and create a bigger issue uh, out of an issue that really isn't what wasn't necessarily their own. They're kind of piggybacking off of what's going on to create a bigger issue. Um, and really, I don't think that. Uh, listen, I stopped listening to the news uh, about two months ago. My life has been a hell of a lot better, given I know a lot less of what's going on, which is actually a little weird for me. But it makes me just a, a happier person. Uh, 
but news still trickles to me. And uh, I have not heard too, too much about this. I heard about some of the attacks. We've got, we've got a, uh, a, a guest here who is uh, struggling to hold his phone straight. He would like to jump in and share some, uh, some peace in the Middle East. Peace in the Middle East, but oh, where uh, you we guys couldn't at? hear you. You're, you're, you're now live. I appreciate that oh. you, you, were, you were very excited to get going before we even brought you in. Uh, but we got Yaya Saraf here. Uh, <laughs> who is uh who is uh sharing some controversial information that james would not agree with nor would the greater media agree with so we're now on to the middle east what what do you 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 feel very inclined to uh i, I just figured you know we, we might as well let you in here no i just thought you know there could be a different perspective <laughs> and that's why that's oh, why I, I brought you in here yeah, so help give us a little bit more background on what's going on in the Middle East, especially the the the, the reasons for Saudi Arabia and Iran having such a conflict. But before, hold on, before we go there, can you share your perspective, maybe where you're from and and where you get your information from? Oh uh, well, I'm from New York, number one. My background, well, I'm Pakistani. Your background, all right. So. Right, but in terms of like news source, I think. Um, there is a lot of censorship censorship in America where like where, when it comes to certain things the well, listen, James, James and I James and I are both white dudes from the suburbs of upstate New York that are relatively liberal leaning right so so I think you and I'm the only reason I'm highlighting it is because your perspective is is different than ours and your opinion is different than ours so I, I think I think it's different in a sense that because uh you know, because you know so many people in different parts of the world and you realize that not the entire world doesn't view whatever's happening globally, you know, in the West perspective, right? Um, so you get different viewpoints of, you know, from all over the world, not well, just you, like you, what you're hearing from you, here. You and I see, and I, I'm not trying to be too controversial, and I'm also, I don't have my kind of finger on the pulse here, but mm -hmm. you and I especially, yeah, yeah, being from New York, we see a lot more perspective uh, than I think the rest of the United States does. I feel like New York City is is that much more closely connected to what what, what the last time you were on this podcast, didn't you have a, a, a smoke detector low on battery? It went low on battery again. My bad. <laughs> I gotta change I have like eight in my house. <laughs> it's a safe place, my friend. I know. All right, sorry. I'll, I, I I'm curious for your opinion. I just wanted to kind of set it up a little bit. Yeah, so um, but, give but us go a ahead because bit, I think it's really good to give have. Give us perspective on what's going on in the Middle East. Well, where'd you guys leave off? I mean, like, what's going on um, in the Middle East? We can go back 100 years. Well, right now, 50 no, we years. Want to talk about now, but we, we're talking about the Houthis and, and kind of like, where, that, well, where that. Why does Saudi Arabia and Iran hate each other so much? And how does that play into Yemen? And, like, what. And then in terms of, like, the Israel Hamas war kind of destabilizing the region a bit and how various players in the area are trying to take advantage of it one way or another. All right. So I think you kind of touched on it because Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, they're different sects of Islam, mm -hmm. right? From my understanding, uh, right now, Saudi Arabia obviously controls uh, Mecca, which is, you know, it's a holy city for Muslims. Um, Iran kind of wants to take it over because, you know, they believe that their sect is, you know, responsible for guarding that place. So that's where, like, the internal conflict comes from. Um, but uh, apart from that, uh, so not that obviously Iran, uh, you know, funds and backs a lot of militias uh, in the in the region. So number one would be Hezbollah, in, which is in southern Lebanon. Hezbollah is probably the biggest non-state military in the world. Um, I think they got like some crazy 150,000 uh, soldiers Does Iran or something. also fund Hamas? <sighs> so that's a little bit, a little bit. They do. So Qatar funds Hamas, Iran funds Hamas, but here's a funny thing, though. Israel also wants funding for, Ham for Hamas. Well, that's an interesting thing because for a while keeping Hamas in power was a way of Israel to maintain subjugation in, in Gaza. Because when was the last election in Gaza? Like 15 years ago? 2004? 2006. 2006. 2006. So 18 years ago. So, so the average Gazan citizen hasn't had a say in their government 
in what, 17, 18 years? Right. So there hasn't been any elections for, you know, we, well, two, we're in 2024 now. So yeah, 18 years now. But there's so much internal politics because, like, if you, you know, go back and um, read about what the, uh, you know, the Israeli government, government wants, you know, Netanyahu has said that in order to, you know, uh, to keep the division between the Palestinian people, you know, they have to keep funding Hamas because the other side of it, which is the uh, government that's in the West Bank, is called the PLO, which is kind of like the peaceful, you know, they want. Uh, uh, you know, just d- diplomatic solutions, whereas Hamas is more like the, it's it's like MLK and uh, I guess Malcolm X, right? Where Hamas would be like, no, if if we yeah, want like, our, like a more extreme version of both ends, right? Exactly. So Hamas is more like you know, if we want self liberation, like we're gonna get it one way or another. Whereas the PLO is like, you know, we have we need to have diplomatic solutions, but Israel likes to keep you know Hamas well funded. Because if there's a division between the Palestinian people itself and, you know, every time Hamas does something, they attack Israel, they can kind of go back and say, oh, wait, you know what, look at these people. We cannot, uh, you know, we need to defend ourselves. So there's really no, you know, uh, so that basically the PLO and Hamas, you know, can come together on any subject that, you know, because they can say Hamas is so so violent. So it's also by funding Hamas, they're keeping divisions between Hamas and the PLO? Absolutely. Okay. And, you know, arguably, sometimes division is a is a good thing. Right. Not in this case. Well, but no, for Israel, it's no. I, I, I well, think yeah. For, from Israel's perspective, it it, it is good. Um, right. Well, we need to define good because there's a difference between it being like good for people and it being advantageous for Israel. Well, listen. Let me just give you an example. In the United States, we have Republicans. And we have liberals and and then we have crazy woke liberals which you right. you trend more so than well, i do but for me i would like to have a line between like you like i'm all, i'm all for republicans attacking crazy woke liberals like i agree right. with them wholeheartedly uh and, and if there's like a big campaign against them i'm like yeah that's right but i still identify sort of as them but i'm all for having that identifying factor so if israel is like effectively building up the middle class, uh, not middle well, class. I'm sorry. Uh, on. So let, let's put we, it this we can way. get back there, but Hold on. I, I, let me distill this down. Division is useful for maintaining a status quo. Absolutely. And yeah. power and power. It's like divide and conquer, right? Yeah. yeah but also, but if, if you're trying to exclude the more radical, right. Sometimes that's, that's a good thing. Like sometimes you can both agree that, that more radical is bad. Well, I mean, you could look at it in the United States and say, like, well, should someone who has identified themselves as a Nazi get elected to a par- like a position of power? And you're like, well, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, right. I, I think we all agree on that. Right. But also go, going back to the funding, right, uh, there has been uh, articles in the Israeli media like Haaretz, which is one of the biggest newspapers in uh, Israel, has said that in, two, in 2019 – a lot of the money for Hamas comes from Qatar, right? Because a lot of their leaders live there. Qatar, obviously, a very wealthy country. So in 2019, I think uh, uh, Qatar was like, you know what? We're finally done with this. You know, we kind of don't want to keep funding Hamas. And Netanyahu, he told the Mossad leadership, Mossad is the intelligence agency of Israel. He's like, you know, you need to go to Qatar and talk to them to make sure that Hamas's funding keeps coming to them. Right, and this is just this from Israeli media. This is not just like well, you know, I, guys. You guys are bringing well, information let me, let me to me that is like blowing my mind. By the way, let me ask a question here, because could there be a justification on Israel's part for funding Hamas in that Israel could say we're funding Hamas so that they can provide f- services within Gaza to help Gazan citizens of we're giving money to Hamas so they can build hospitals or schools or roads or whatever else. Like, is there an innocent justification for this? No, there isn't an innocent justification because everything that goes in and out of Gaza is controlled by Israel. So they literally control what goes in. Right. So if they're asking for funding for Hamas, right. And they control what it goes in or what goes out. And then, 
their whole thing is in order for us to keep a division between the Palestinian people, we have to make sure Hamas and the PLO are divided. So I don't think they're sending in, you know, um, materials for building hospitals. I'm pretty sure Israel is very closely monitoring, like, okay, you know what? This we can let this go in. We'll fit, like, you know, have let we'll give them a little bit of like, you know, humanitarian supplies so that way people are still, you know, living. But if they're controlling everything that's going in, in and out of Gaza and they're telling Qatar to keep funding Hamas, like it you know what, what they're doing. It looks it looks good from a certain perspective narrative. Right. Right. It looks good. But it also, from a different perspective narrative, it could look very bad, like the control over what's going in and what's going out. The right. fact that they're giving it from one perspective could look very good. Right. And I, and I think I think what we have are two very divided perspectives on Israel and Hamas. Right. And then also another thing is 10 days before October 7th happened, Israeli, Israeli intelligence was notified. The Israeli government was notified that like, hey, Hamas is planning something and the israeli government was like yeah all right fuck it whatever right this was one of the most heavily guarded borders in the world it's constantly surveilled so the side uh so obviously one side is the is the they is the border the same, they said the same thing about 9 11. everything's easy in retrospect right no okay, okay no no on. no hold on hold on hold on God, oh, Israel, it's so Israel. I don't even, I think Israel is only like 50 miles wide, not even 50 miles wide. I don't know, but it's very small, like from east to west, right? Even when the attacks happened, it took the Israeli military four hours to respond. By some accounts, it took them eight hours to respond in this tiny ass country, right? So the question, you know, the question is like, what the fuck were they doing for all this? Were they just letting it happen because they knew it was going to happen? Like, there's just been accounts of soldiers that are saying, you're like, you know, stand down for now. We're not going to do anything. And then there are accounts of, you know, soldiers when they finally got there. They're like, you know, there's people here. There's really citizens here. And they're like, we were just told to fucking shoot everybody. Just fucking, you know, Apache helicopters. You know, they're like, you know, shoot now. Hit them now. We'll ask questions later. So also, here's the here's the biggest oh, thing. Wait, 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 hey, hey, wait, wait. Pause on the biggest thing. Don't forget that. But are yeah. you saying maybe that Israel withheld support to make maybe a, maybe a bigger issue? I, I think that's still being investigated. I, but I, I think, think who's, who's investigating some... it? Who's investigating it? Well, Israel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. Speaking of that, speaking of that. By the way, when C, what uh, uh, CNN when they were reporting from Gaza uh, a few weeks ago. The CNN had to get approval from the IDF for what they can report. So if they're investigating themselves, I'm pretty sure they found themselves innocent. Well, like, so here, hold on. Here, here's, here's one thing I want to bring up, which is I think that for, from what I've heard, the majority of Israeli citizens mm -hmm. are really pissed off at Netanyahu and his government. And the only... And, and Netanyahu and his government know this, and they know that as soon as the war in Gaza is over, mm -hmm. they are going yeah. to be voted out. Yeah. And so they're trying to keep this war going as long as possible because it's the only thing that's keeping them from getting voted out. Right. So he, this actually, this, this, that's uh, really funny you brought this up because the big thing that I was going to say was right before October 7th, right, when Hamas attacked Israel, there were huge protests in uh, Israel, huge protests against, against, Netanyahu, people, yeah. against Netanyahu. His people wanted him out of the government because he was going to rewrite the Constitution. He was going to um, undermine the Supreme their Supreme Court. He yeah, was that was pretty soon after like the, he he had, like right. got and, approval for the plan to like reshape the Supreme Court, right? Right, and then there were massive protests against him, massive, right? Like people wanted him out of power, and then you hear. All of a sudden, you hear reports about like, oh, he he was warned that Hamas is about to attack, and then his military stood down, and you know, it was it wasn't an intelligence I'm failure. Surprised just, we haven't been like, kicked off of TikTok or Instagram. Hang on, so right? here's what like, hey, if there's look, if there's smoke, there's fire. Like, it, no, I think it, I, like, think look, I want to move on from this, point. not because it's not an interesting topic, but because we've only got about five minutes to go, and mm -hmm. I want to address, I want I want to address this question, which is. So the United States has said that they are going to respond to the attack in the the base in Jordan that killed three service members. Right. And 
This was, I, we, this was very recently. This was last yeah. weekend. Yeah. So the United States has said that we're going to respond in some way. Now, we don't know what that response is going to be yet, but the, the options range from us bombing a couple like militant camps in the area to I've heard people talk about how they want us to bomb like drone factories in Iran. Right. Now, when the U.S. started talking about the response to, to what happened last weekend, Iran tried to distance themselves as much as possible from what happened, largely because Iran doesn't want to have their shit bombed. Right. And so it's interesting that I like, I guess the question is, what do you think the response from the U.S. is going to be? And is there a way like because I, I don't think that the United States wants to get into a war with Iran where we actually have troops invading the country and trying to knock over their government. Right. Because I think the American people after Iraq 20 years ago have have very little appetite for that kind of war again. And mm-hmm. so it's how does the U.S. respond in a way that avoids a wider war but still addresses the problem because Iran is funding these militias that are attacking U.S. military targets, but also right. a variety of civilian targets, just like like commercial shipping in anything that goes through the Red well, Sea. Well, hold on. The commercial shipping, the Houthis are only attacking ships that are going to Israel because they're giving pass That's to anybody. That's not true. They've, they've, been, they've been attacking all sorts of ships. Or or, or Western ships. They, they've led right, Russian right, ships. Right, right. But there's a big difference between yeah. ships. only ships that go to Israel and Western yeah. ships. Right. Yeah. But like, who is supplying Israel with all this weaponry and all this support? So it's kind of like you know they're under the same umbrella. So either you, either you tell Israel to stop or we will continue to attack the ships that are funding this genocide that's happening in Gaza. If the Houthis keep on with this strategy, they're going to find themselves on the wrong end of a whole bunch of American missiles. It's not a good strategy for them. Yeah, but you think they care? The Houthis have been at war. We talked about this before you, before you came on about how the Houthis might be trying to use this conflict to generate more interest and make mm-hmm. it effectively a bigger thing on, on a more world right. stage. So, uh, right. We just the the oh he's out of here. Did you bring yourself out, or we bring you back in? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you in? You also were like choppy the entire time. Oh, all right. All, all I'm saying is, we get this. You got to upgrade your internet, Justin. <laughs> I had the top package. I live in the suburbs, man. No, oh, I, yeah, I thought it was me. I, I thought no, it was no, me. That's it was, what, it's okay. Justin. Okay. So we got a trivia question, and uh, we use this trivia question so that my mom watches the episode uh, <laughs> <laughs> next episode. Um, so James, so we we hit the last trivia question about the proof, the 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 alcohol percentage. You want to give your Super Bowl related trivia question on Super Bowl Sunday? How many chicken wings will Americans consume? Oh, damn, I don't even know. And you know what? I'll give a range. Is it 500 million? Don't Google this. You got to you got to guess or or just Is it 500 million? It's way more. Than 900 million? Hmm. 1.3 billion or 1.7 billion? I go 1.3. Well, you got to tune in next week for the answer. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rosh made a comment here. I think uh, uh, maybe he's got a good uh, good idea. Maybe bring you back for another episode here. But I think I think also the the additional point of view are really really important because we all get our information from different sources, and uh, it's just information, right? We're just getting it it through the news. I li- I listen traditionally to a lot of NPR. And over the last decade, I have felt the kind of liberal bias on NPR. It sometimes it actually like makes it tough to listen to. Uh, and I'm a pretty liberal guy, but I could, you know, when you even somebody who's even if the refs on your side, you can see mm-hmm. a play and be like, "Yo, that call was obviously." Wait, in, a, in, a in terms of the media, so uh, I'll I'll just say something very funny. So I have a, I have a coworker, you know, he watches a lot of like Fox News and stuff like that. Um, so we're always constantly talking about this and that, uh, you know, 
what's happening in, between CNN or Fox News or Newsmax or, you know, left-leaning, right-leaning. And then, None of those are left-leaning. Uh, you, know, you know what I mean, CNN. I run out of time. Hold on, really, 10 really, seconds. And 10 seconds. And then he goes like, yo, why are all these people saying the exact same thing about Israel, whether it's, you know, right-leading news or left-leading news? I'm like, it does, when it comes to Israel in this country, every single MSM page is on the same page. No one is going to say anything different. All right. And that note, we are out of here, out of time. Thank you, guys. We'll uh, we'll catch up maybe off air. And uh, see you guys next time. Adios. All Cheers. Right, all, right. all right. That's the end of the episode. Let me know in the comments whether you agree with our statements with our thoughts or if you disagree see you next time i like pbr i just got priced out of it